0: Good morning, church. Um, Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. Thank you for allowing me to speak on Sunday morning. Um, My grandfather was a missionary. Um, My father is a pastor. And so um, to take any more than like three or five minutes from their pulpit in the morning you know, that was just, like, really hard for them to give up, so I really appreciate you giving this time to, to what we're doing and to share with all of you. Thank you so much for the support that you have provided over the past several, several months, and um, I did want to come and share with you what we do, because I think it's important for you all to know where your money is going and how God is being glorified in the work that we're doing. Um, so, Pastor had mentioned my grandfather. My grandfather actually is originally from this part of the world. I don't know if my speech gives me away. I am not from this part of the world. Um, But my grandfather, actually, I was just looking on the map. I think my grandfather was born in Shongaloo, Louisiana. Um, And so, of course, he called it, like, Louisiana. Um, You know, he he had a very southern or, I guess, a northern Louisiana accent, southwest Arkansas. Um, Early in Life. My uh, great grandfather then moved them to Southwest Arkansas. So I would call it Nevada County. I'm told it's Nevada County. I do live here now, so I call it Nevada County. But in 1969, uh, my grandfather, with my grandmother and um, a very reluctant son, who was my father, they moved to New Jersey, uh, just outside of Philadelphia, about seven miles outside of Philadelphia. And they, uh, my grandfather, started a church there in 1969. Um, My father, who was very reluctant to move to the Northeast, ended up um, falling in love with a woman from Philadelphia, who's my mother, and um, they have lived there ever since. My father actually pastors the church that my grandfather began in 1969. And so that pretty much gives just a little bit of the history, and then um, I'll share with you how I ended up back here in southwest Arkansas. Um, I came to know Christ as a child. my f- whole family life was based upon your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and then what it is, your purpose in life, how you give back. That's that's just how I was raised. And so um, I have a love of education. I think I was sharing with the pastor and then others in here a love of books. I love learning. I love reading. I love books. I mean, I could just live in a library. And so I uh, furthered my education and I became an attorney. And um okay. I wanted just a successful life, and I'm sharing this with you because where God brought me, and maybe you all are in the same spot. I wanted to give to the Lord and write big checks that came out of a big bank account, but I really just wanted to live the life I wanted to live and then be a, one of those sender people. Aren't we always jealous of the sender people? They, they seem to like live the lives, like these beautiful lives, and then they're able to send um, missionaries who are very needed. But the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and really impressing upon my heart that he didn't need the money I wanted to make, but he needed my heart and my desire to serve him. And so when I was trying to figure out what that looked like, because um, my bad joke is that no one thinks people in New Jersey are saved, certainly not attorneys from New Jersey. I mean, how could those people be Christ followers, right? Right. So I really, I was saying to the Holy Spirit, like, I didn't go to medical school. I can't do medical missions. Like, I can't, there are all these things I can't do. I'm an attorney. What, what do lawyers do for God, right? And really, it was my voice. We could be an advocate for people who don't have a voice. And so when I started to understand trafficking and what trafficking looks like, not just around the world, but in our communities and in our backyard um, and in your backyard, You know, this doesn't just happen in Philadelphia or New York or Little Rock or Miami. This happens in Magnolia and it happens in Emerson. I was at an event yesterday and it was um, one of the leaders of the Arkansas State Police who is very much involved in this work now. He said, if you go to Walmart, you walk by somebody who is victimized by human trafficking. And that's very true. Everywhere we live, there's victimization. And I'm gonna get to that in just one moment. In addition to our faith in our family, we actually come from somewhat of a military family, and my daughter, I have a 14-year-old daughter who's expressed interest in serving in the Navy, and we found out this summer that one of the mottos of the Navy is, if not me, then who? And I really thought that should be the motto of our church, right? That shouldn't be a military. That shouldn't be their goal. It should be our goal, not to provide freedom to people but to, or physical freedom, but to provide, to provide spiritual freedom. We hold that gift. And if we don't go, then who's going to go? So my husband and I, we were, we were dedicated to go and serve and speak for those who are victimized. And so, when we started doing the research and the work, what's needed? Because I do, I don't have a medical background, but I like to think in terms of medicine because we have broken people. We all have needs. If you look in the scripture, you'll see a lot of people going to Jesus who had medical needs, but he was concerned for their medical ailment, but really for their spiritual state. And so, like a doctor, when you're looking at a problem, what's the cure? What's the fix? How do you solve this problem? And you know, even 10 years ago, 12 years ago, there was more of a conversation about trafficking and you would see things about um, rescues happening and police like breaking up a drug bust and then they also rescued adults or children and I'm guessing that you're all familiar with somewhat of this conversation, yes, no, okay. So I always thought when I would watch those news stories as I started to do my research, you know, we want to free people. It's horrific to be, to be enslaved, you know, in, caught up in modern day slavery, to even think that this happens in our country, to think about the sexual violence that these individuals experience. So everyone wants freedom of that, right? But then I started to think, when I was watching these newsreels, what happens to these individuals after they're, let's say, free? Can they go back to a family? Do they have a family? Can they get a job? Do they have a skill set? What happens to these people? So, in doing more research and talking with people who are survivors of trafficking, talking with people involved in the work, there really is, still to today, still to this day, there really is a lack of care on that long-term after recovery. And so if someone is not receiving the care that they need in the long term, all they do is go back to the behavior you know. If you're hungry and you have no way to earn money because you don't have a skill set, you've never been taught a skill set and your only skill set was being paid for the use of your body, well, if you're hungry, you're going to go back to that line of work because you want to eat. And so I started to think, what what do these individuals need? What is the antidote? Well, we all know Jesus is the antidote, right? Jesus is the cure for the broken heart. But beyond coming to a relationship with Christ, and how can you even come to a relationship with Christ when you have all of these other needs? You know, I'm always... Please excuse me if I say anything inappropriate. I will apologize in advance. But I am always amazed by the churches or the individuals or the pastors who say, well, we just want all these people to get saved. I'm like, I want them to get saved too, but they're hungry, and they don't have a roof over their head right now. They're more concerned about that. So how do we meet that need? What has to happen? And so I quickly learned that it's that long-term recovery piece that is missing. And so that's what we wanted to provide. And so we have, it's just about, um, well, it says an hour on the map. I made it in 50 minutes, so depending upon how you drive. We are about an hour north of here, and we have a 50-acre campus, and we provide all needs for individuals coming out of trafficking. And so, you know, what does that look like? What does that encompass? Um, Well, we first provide for their, their needs, food, shelter, medical care, potentially legal needs. But then we start to dive deeper down and we, we get involved with things, um, it's called case management. Well, case management is just a fancy word to sit with a person and talk with them about what their goals are and then figure out how you achieve those goals. The individuals we're serving, they don't even know how to set goals because no one has ever encouraged them to do that. Very few cases where we find someone was encouraged to set goals for themselves and they certainly weren't given them resources to do that. So I'm often asked, you know, and we, we started to look at the statistics of what we do And we've been doing this, our our campus has been open for close to three years. We opened on January 1st of 2021. Since that time, we've served 30 individuals who have been victimized through both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, And and the things that we provide, like to to say what that would look like, it turns out to be like in just one year, over 5,000 meals. We provide therapy, so it's over 600 hours of therapy. It's not close to 1,000 hours, this is, again, in just one year, over 1,000 hours of holistic therapy. And so what does holistic therapy look like? Well, holistic therapy is budgeting classes, it's a nutrition class, it's a book club. We definitely have a Bible study, but I'm guessing that all of you don't spend 24-7 in the Bible, and so we don't either. So we have a book club where we're reading classical literature, where the clients can identify with individuals who have overcome hardship. Um, And sometimes it's not classical literature literature. Right now we're reading, I think it's a book, it's either Francine Rivers or Jeanette Oak, I'm not sure, but it's the the legacy of faith, and it's about all the it's a novel written of women in the Bible who lead to the 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 biological line of Jesus Christ. And so it's talking it's a the novel of Rahab and Ruth and, and their lives and their stories, which our clients can relate to very closely. So we have a book club. We do botanical things outside. We have a barn and stables and a riding arena, so we engage in equine activities. Um, We provide education. So so many of our individuals, they they don't have a GED. Um, They never graduated high school. They may have, we have a client whose education level was that of a first grader, barely above kindergarten. Um, We have clients who can't read. And so again, I want to go back to, we have this idea that we want to rescue people from trafficking, and that, that's noble, that's great, we need to do that. But then what happens to them afterwards? I mean, honestly, look at, we have so many children in your church, it's beautiful to see, but could you imagine looking at a first grader and saying, I know life has been, you know, life hasn't been real hard on you, or maybe it has been, but our family's having some struggles, and we need you to go get a job this weekend. Like, are you good with that? Right? That's, that's, that's laughable. But when it comes to victims of trafficking, because of the type of assault and the abuse and the dysfunction they've lived in, they're really functioning at the point of a first, second, or third grader. I'm gonna to get to a minute about the statistics of who we see. And you'll see that we're dealing with adult women who really function at that early elementary age. So we're providing education. And then ultimately job training. We started about a year ago an enterprise initiative, a business arm of what we do. And there's a twofold purpose on our business arm. One is to help the ladies earn some stipend money um, while they're on our campus. They have no means to earn money while they're with us. And as much as um, I would, um, it's offensive to even say this, I've been accused of being our client's new pimp because I control everything that they do. And that's really offensive to hear, but from their perspective, I can, I can see that. I'm gonna to get to a minute about the statistics of who we see and what that's like. So from their perspective, they need to earn money. They need to have a means of even just buying their own cigarettes, getting nail polish if they want nail polish, because we provide for needs. We do not provide for wants. But everybody has wants, and sometimes we think our wants are more important than our needs, am I right? And they're on the same page as us. So we provide a way for them to earn money, Earn some job skills, and by job skills, I'm not necessarily meaning a vocational skill, but more the interpersonal dynamic of how it is when you go to work. Um, We all work with people we don't like. But for the most part, if we're responsible adults, we learn how to interact and deal with the people we don't like so that we can keep our job, so we can pay our bills, right? Our clients, if they don't like somebody, they just curse them out and move on to the next thing. But you can't really do that at a job. You will not keep your job. So we're trying to help the ladies learn some interpersonal skills. We do that through our um, enterprise initiative. And then what we do is we set up stores, um, pop-up shops at different fairs, different events, different churches, and all of the proceeds go back into um, running the the facility that we have. We actually have a store set up here, some of you may have seen at the outset. But everything here that we have is made by our clients, Um, everything that's there. And then all of the proceeds go back into their care. We have uh, provided in one year close to 500 hours of just exposure to the gospel. So trying to give these ladies the truth in um, their weekly Bible study, but then also we attend church over in Hope. Um, We attend church at Garrett Memorial Baptist Church where Cliff Johnson is the pastor. And so we have a lot of involvement from church people coming and volunteering and mentoring and working with our ladies, but then also being exposed to the gospel in Sunday morning church. And I would think... I thought at the outset that this would be an easy thing, right, going to church. How easy is that? But quite honestly, it's not. Because in addition to the the physical and sexual abuse that our ladies have endured, they've also been victimized through spiritual abuse. I have been appalled to see how not just in the Christian faith, but I expected it from other faiths, not to be derogatory or judgmental. But if you come out of the Mormon church, with a lot, a lot of our clients have come out of the Mormon church, there is significant abuse towards females in the Mormon church. There's significant abuse towards women if you are practicing Muslim. But then you come to Christianity and you think, well, it wouldn't be that bad, right? Wrong. (laughs) We have had so many ladies that the Bible, the Bible that we're trying to share with them as the good news, that has been used to manipulate and control them and degrade them. And so we're trying to overcome that hurdle of being victimized through spiritual abuse so that they can see the truth of the gospel. And that's been a hard, that's been a, I'm gonna be very honest, that's been an obstacle for us, but it's not an obstacle that obviously we're gonna give up on and just say, well, you've been spiritually abused, we're not gonna share the gospel with you. No, we're we're working to see how we can, in an appropriate way, share truth and then point out how the Bible has been used in a a perverted way, in a wrong way to harm them. So very much involved in their um, spiritual care. We provide for their medical care. So many of our clients have extreme medical struggles in all areas. Um, So we work with um, a medical clinic in Hope where immediately if you come into care, you're going to see a doctor and then we start to address those needs. We provide for legal support. Some of our clients are referred to us out of the prison system, so they're either on probation or they're on parole. We have other clients who have significant legal issues Um, Our victims of labor trafficking oftentimes have family law issues um, and immigration issues. So so we're addressing those needs. Um, And so when I talk about what we do, it it sounds very positive. I hope it sounds positive and almost idyllic, right? Um, We're on this beautiful campus. We have these horses. We have a beautiful home. um, And it just sounds nice. But then I want to share with you what it feels like or what it's like when you're actually working with clients and what they look like. So I shared with you all of what we provide and what We Are Free looks like. But I want to share with you what these 30 individuals that I've come to know and to love and really be frustrated by, what they look like. Um, 83.3% of our clients, so about 8 in 10, they experienced um, sexual assault in their childhood, which as early as four, five, and six years old. And so if you have experienced that type of trauma, like there's everyone in here has experienced some level of trauma, right? But there's little T trauma and then there's big T trauma. And so on the big T trauma, which is all of our clients, when you experience that, not usually, all the time, your development ends at the time your trauma begins. So for individuals who were sexually assaulted at the age of four, well, they're 24 and they function like a four-year-old. And I can guarantee you, if you think any parent in here that you've had like a run for your money with a temper tantrum from a four-year-old, let me tell you about a temper tantrum from a 24-year-old. It's a totally different ballgame. And that's what we experience. Out of our clients, 23.3% of them first experienced familial trafficking. And so by familial trafficking, that means that it was their parent or a close family member who was selling them for for something in exchange. That exchange could be drugs, That exchange could be a new roof on your house. That exchange could be for a vehicle, whatever it may be. But again, these individuals are being told over and over, the very people who God placed in your life. So we're going to talk about God and the sovereignty of God. And then we have clients say to me, you want me to trust the sovereignty of God when these were my parents? Wow, it's pretty bold of me, right? So the very people who were God-designed that were supposed to protect these individuals are actually the ones who initially harmed them. Harmed them through their own violence and sexual assault in the home or even trafficked to them. 73.3% of our clients, they experience trafficking by an intimate partner. So these individuals, they were used. well, usually we have 8 out of 10, they were sexually assaulted in their own home. They grow into young adulthood. They meet somebody who they think is going to solve all of their problems. And really, that's what it is. I have a 14-year-old daughter and obviously we're not in this category at all, right? But every 14-year-old has struggles. I have struggles at 14. My struggles at 14 are different than the struggles of 14-year-olds now. But my daughter said to me the other day, she thought something was gonna happen, it didn't happen. And her quote to me was, I just needed that to happen because I was gonna solve all of my problems. And we had a great parenting moment where we talked about who can really solve all of our problems. But really, I wanna take that because that was, the, that was the quote from my well-functioning 14-year-old daughter who is in Christ who comes from a functioning family. She's still looking for something to solve all of her problems. And quite honestly, I think all of us are looking for something to solve all of our problems. And so these individuals who have been harmed from early childhood, they'll meet somebody who's wonderful, and they think this person's going to solve all of their problems. But usually that person is the one who will groom them and abuse them more than everybody else has in their life and they'll start to traffic them. 16% of our clients, or only 16% of our clients, were held against their will. That means that 84% of our clients were never held against their will. So the idea that people are being trafficked in this country, and, um, and I want to dispel some myths. People are kidnapped from Walmart parking lots and sold into trafficking. But it is very, very, very uncommon. And here's why, because if one of your children was kidnapped in the Walmart parking lot, the police would help you look for them. But if you take children who are already vulnerable because they've been abused in their home and they're looking for a way out, those are the ones that are going to be victimized by trafficking because nobody is coming to look for them. And so we have 84% of the people that have been trafficked in in Arkansas and the surrounding areas, they're not held against their will. This is just a way of life. This is who they are. And then we come in and we say, wow, this is not at all who you are. You have design and you have purpose. But again, we're overcoming all of these hurdles. I want to talk about geography. 70% of our clients are from, and they were also trafficked here in Arkansas and from communities just like this. I was at an event yesterday, and I had already shared there was um, one of the one of the detectives with the Arkansas State Police who are working so much more in this area now. Um, you all should be very thankful. I, I really, well, I would never share all my political views with you. One would be inappropriate, and two, you might make me leave. Um, but you should be. We should be so thankful for Governor Sanders right now and the Attorney General Tim Griffin because they're doing so much on this front. And so I was at an event yesterday. And there was a gentleman there from the state police who was actually one of the chair people of the task force being put together by the Attorney General Griffin. Um, and there had been a sting, a sting operation, that was run by the state police back in September. And I actually know I go to church with another state trooper who was involved in that, in that sting. Um, and so there was, they set up dates, they set up online dates in the Little Rock area, and then when a, when a client came in, when, when the the... The female came in, they, the police were there, and then they had service providers to say, hey, this is what's going on, we'll provide you with services, we'll do this for you, this for you, this for you. Some, not all of the ladies left. The ladies were like, this is a lie, this is a joke, you're gonna end up arresting me, I don't trust you, goodbye, right? And so they weren't getting arrested, so they, they were free to leave. Others accepted the services, which was a beautiful thing, and that then their long journey begins of that recovery piece. Out of that, we didn't have any referrals from that sting but we get our referrals that way. So right now, our, our beds are occupied. We're full to capacity. But we get our referrals from state police operations like that, or other law enforcement operations. Um, so anyway, I want to go back to this sting because it's important to share something with you. They recovered two juveniles, and the one juvenile had been missing for two weeks. I believe she was a 14-year-old girl, and so she was already being sold in a hotel. She'd been missing for two weeks. They called the parents to identify the parents, and the parents said, Keep her in jail for a couple days so she can learn that this is just not acceptable. Like, they didn't want her back. And so traffickers and pimps, they don't have to go kidnap kids in America because there are so many kids in America who are coming out of dysfunctional homes whose parents just don't want them, and they know that. So you, you can really groom and... Earn the trust of a child after just providing food for them for one week. Like, how sad is that? You provide very minimal, one week of food and shelter, and you're going to earn the trust of a child. And, and that's the world that we live in. And so then I come back to the question of today of how, how do we solve this problem? This is not easy work. This long-term piece, it is not easy. But if not me, then Who? If not you, then who? So I had on my heart this morning, which I typically don't do this, but it's been on my heart, and I shared with the pastor. I want to share it with you. Um, Oftentimes when you're talking about missionaries, they go to Isaiah chapter 6, and it's a beautiful beginning. Verses 1 through 7 are just beautiful when Isaiah sees God in the heavens, and there's the angels, and, and God asks the question, who will I send, and Isaiah says, me. And, you know, my husband and I were there back in, um, I first started being called into this in 2008. We formed the organization in 2011. I moved to Arkansas in 2014 with my husband and two children. We've since had a third child here. And God has really provided miraculously for us to have the building and the facilities that we have. I wouldn't even have the time to share all that with you today, but it has been beautiful, God's provision. God's provision. And we're all like, yes, we are doing God's work. This is going to be beautiful. And we have people, volunteers. Now, I'm not naive. I am not a naive person. I knew this was going to be hard. But I'll also be very honest with you. The past two and a half, close to three years, I had no idea how hard it would be. I had no idea how many times I would just be laid out for trying to help somebody, for trying to do the right thing. And so I thought of this today. It came up a couple of weeks ago in a Bible study, and the Holy Spirit brought it back to me this morning. And it's from Isaiah. After this beautiful scene, in chapter, or verse 8, Isaiah gives his commission, or excuse me, God gives his commission to Isaiah. It's Isaiah's commission. And I want to read it to you. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is the part, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And he said, so this is what God says, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? So that first commission, that doesn't sound pretty positive, right? God's saying, I'm gonna send you on a mission and no one's gonna respond to you. They're not gonna hear it. They're not gonna see it. They're not gonna understand it. And I think Isaiah's response was like, okay, how long am I doing this? And the answer is, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So obviously this is talking about the destruction of Israel and the captivity and all that God does there. And sometimes I think, wow, Isaiah did not have an easy life. And again, if you go on and read the rest of Isaiah's life, it was not easy. He suffered, but he was doing God's work. My husband and I and the staff that we are free, we do not suffer like Isaiah. Please do not give, let you hear that wrong idea from me. But this is very hard, very dark work. And very few people see the light of Christ. But there are people who have seen it. Out of those 30 individuals, there are individuals that God has changed their lives. And so I ask, if there's one, two, three, maybe in all of our work, 10 souls in eternity for what we've done, is that worth it? It is. It is. And so we invite you, I mean, you've already partnered with us, but we, I would invite you to become more involved with what we do. First through prayer. Prayer is the number one thing. We need the therapist. Our clients see therapists. But if God is not opening their eyes to see the truth, nothing in their lives will change. They won't be trafficked, and we rejoice in that. But I don't know that they'll be truly free. They'll be physically free, but not spiritually free. And that's our goal for these clients. That's our goal for the individuals we serve. So please pray for us on a daily basis. We were in Bible study and... um, I was in Bible study at church and someone was sharing about his prayer life and he was talking about how he prays and he said that he prays for we are free weekly. And I was sitting there in the Bible study with other staff members of ours and he said, you know, I can't pray for everybody every day so unless you share something urgent with me, I pray for we are free on a weekly basis. And I said, oh Lord, it is urgent every day. Please pray for us every day. So I'd be so bold to ask you to pray. Pray that God intervenes in a miraculous way. We need more staff we have staff opportunities right now. If you know of individuals who feel called to this or understand mental health at all or have a heart for those who are broken, please reach out to me. I would love to talk with individuals. We need more funding. So if you have ideas that we could work together for fundraisers, if we could, we could work where the church could support us with food, like just buying food and our ongoing, um, you know, I shared our meals. In one year, 5,000 meals. That's a lot of food. So so we could use those items. There's so many ways that we could partner together. We could partner together and we could talk, something I haven't discussed here at all as of yet, and I need to stop because I've talked too long. We need to educate our youth on the reality of what trafficking is and how everybody is open to grooming. The kids in this church, my kids, I'm afraid for my own kids when I see the tactics of Satan and evil and this whole field. So let's talk to our kids the whole world is writing a narrative on sexuality, and if the church is not doing that, well, then we're failing our kids. And so we have curriculums and things we've developed to work with youth leaders and to work with the church. Those are ways in which we can get involved and do, do something. But the question is, if others don't go, or if, if someone's not gonna go, who, who will go? It's It has to be us. It has to be us. I have pamphlets out in the lobby. We have our store set up. We would love for you to shop. Don't spend your money someplace else. You can spend your money right here, right? Right? Um, and so it's it's purchasing with purpose so you can purchase with purpose I'd be more than happy to answer any questions specifically about what we do Um, but just I would ask that you ask the Holy Spirit if he's moving in any way with regard to this please talk to us we can work together to effectuate change for others and the glory of God thank you so much
1: Now, the good news is uh, I'm not going to preach, but we are going to wrap this up with a biblical perspective, Job chapter 29. I mean, this sounds like a really good thing, and people would say this is a wonderful issue uh, of dealing with a social issue. This is a spiritual issue, and we need to put it into a spiritual perspective, and Job chapter 29 will do that uh, for us. We all know the story of the book uh, of Job uh, in the book, Two times in the first chapter of this book, it describes Job as a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, the King James would say he eschews evil. You have to look that word up. It's an old English word, which means to deliberately avoid evil. He feared God. He respected God. And he deliberately avoided evil. Now, there's a hook. Right here, because in order to deliberately avoid evil, we have to recognize evil as evil and readily and properly identify evil. And the problem with a lot of this trafficking, it deals with behaviors and lifestyles that are not regarded as evil in our society, but celebrated and accepted and flaunted. And this behavior, which is Evil in every way. People are afraid to call it evil because it is so readily accepted. Job turned away from evil. He deliberately avoided evil because he readily recognized it and identified it and was willing to call it what it is. Now we all know the story. Job lost everything financially. His life was a wreck. Job lost all his kids through death. His life was a train wreck emotionally. Then Job lost his health. He had a dark valley, months of darkness that he's going through. And the book of Job recounts how he begins to deal with all that he was going through. And, of course, we know the story And all this, he never turned away from God. But in chapter 29 of the book of Job, he begins to think back, reminisce about the days before he lost everything, about the days before illness had him sidelined, took him out of the social life. He was completely and totally isolated at home. He was a medical wreck. He was removed from the daily life and circulation of the community. He just dropped off the radar of everybody around him. And he thinks back, this is what it was like. But he also says, this is what I was like. And I want us to look look at what Job was like. This is what we should be. Job chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Job continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime." When the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, my rock poured out rivers of oil for me. That's what his life was like. Now he talks what he was like. When I went to the gate by the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid. The aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed. Their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me. When the eye saw, then it approved me. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of the perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that puts these things into a biblical perspective. And we know your perspective. With the work of We Are Free, your perspective is one that involves us, what we can do, what we should do. Help us, Father, decide what we will do for causes like this, the cause of good, the cause of honesty, integrity, and fairness, and rescuing those who need a rescuer. Help us to find your plan for this and our place in your plan. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Job is a man who worshiped God. He feared God. He respected God. What did that look like in his life? What does it mean to walk through life and to respect God? Job said it this way, he said, I delivered the poor who cried out, look at this, and the fatherless, and the one who had no helper. And we deal with people who have no helper, who people who have no hope, people who, whose lives are lost, they're aimless, and they, they don't have to be clients for we are free, we find them everywhere. They may not be going through this kind of valley, but people are, are, are lost and wandering around emotionally because of grief, because of health problems, because of hurt, and then, of course, because of family problems, because of social problems, and children who who don't have responsible adults in their life. And Job was a man who respected God, and he avoided evil. And what did this look like practically? He said this, I delivered the poor, and I helped the fatherless and the one who had no helper. And then he says this, in verse 17, I broke the fangs of the wicked." Now, several English translations, we use a different word, because the Hebrew word literally is the jawbone. I broke the jawbone of the wicked. I broke his jaw and delivered the victim out of his grasp. I broke the jaw of the wicked. I neutralized him, and I was able to deliver the victim out of his teeth. How how do we do that? Well, you don't go throwing a right hook of everybody you think that might be wicked. But you see, sometimes the jaw of the wicked must be broken, and they have to be stopped. What do we do to make this happen? Well, we support all the agencies that enforce the laws of our land and are able to break the jaw of the wicked. And most especially, how do we do this? Watch this, if you see something, say something. If you see it, find a professional authority and you tell these people. Now, people don't want to do that. I'm gonna mind my own business. Look, if you see something being exploited and you see a victim and a helpless person, you can't break the jaw of the wicked, but you can go talk to the guy who can and the law enforcement agency who can. If you see something, say something. That's the best way to break the jaw of the wicked because you know how these people operate? They operate by people who are afraid to say something. And they operate by silence. People who don't want to talk about it. If you see something, say something. Break the jaw of the wicked. He did good things for those who needed it. We see a lot of evil. And when you talk about this, all you got to do is read through the newspaper and say, this is evil. This is sleazy. This is horrible. How How do we even overcome this? Well, the church is the perfect instrument to overcome it. The Apostle Paul said it this way in the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 21 do not be overcome by evil. You overcome evil watch this with good. H- how do we break the jaw of the wicked? We break the jaw of the wicked by they're not the ones doing everything in the community. We have people who are doing good in the community. And you said, you, Paul said, you overcome evil with good. You overcome darkness with light. The only organization that is identified as the light in this world is the church of Jesus Christ. The believers of Christ, the followers of Christ, are the only ones that are identified as light to shine against the darkness. How do we shine as lights in the world? We overcome evil with good. So we ask ourselves the question, are we just wringing our hands because of all the bad in the world, or are we wanting to outweigh it and we're willing to do good and to help those who can't help themselves? There's more opportunities to do that than we can even mention right now because there are people who need help, organizations that need help, and it's up to us to find my place in God's plan to overcome evil with good. It may be with your professional skills. maybe may be with your money, your personal relationships. Somebody who has not had a friendly face and a word For weeks, maybe you can be that friendly face and a voice in their life. You don't know what kind of good it would do to turn a life around. Someone finally noticed me. I'm not invisible. And they were kind to me. You overcome evil with good. Now, we talk about the helpless. We talk about the hopeless. And we say, well, those poor people. But let's not forget, Job was a rescuer. A hero to the helpless. He said, I broke the jaw of the wicked. And I took their victims away from them. But let's not forget the ultimate hero. The book of Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For in due time, when we were without strength, died Christ died for the ungodly. When we were what? Without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. We were enemies of God and it says Christ died for us he's the ultimate rescuer for those who are hopeless and if you don't know Christ you're there he's the ultimate hero for those who have no help and our help can come from nowhere else but Jesus Christ we're going to have an invitation on him simply because I don't know where this has hit you Maybe this is, like me, it's captivated you, and maybe you just need to pray today, what what can I do, Lord? What do you want me to do about this? There's evil all around me, and I know you have a place in your plan for that. Can you show me your work in my life, what you want me to do? Maybe God has put a burden on your heart concerning this organization, and you want to say, "What, what can I do to help them out? Maybe your professional skills. Maybe another a talent that you have, an ability. Maybe your checkbook. Why don't you come and talk to her? Maybe let's just do this. Maybe during the invitation, somebody would like to come up here and pray for Angeline and pray for we are free. I can do that. I can do that. And just come, and there's a special way God honors prayers in his altar. And if you're willing to come and say, I'm willing to step forward and say, I'm, I'm going to be praying for them. Or you need to come and there's some other issue in your heart and your life, this is the time and place as we stand and see. What number?